Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. This school year is going. <laughs> For some people, they, they started in early August. Uh, by the time this drops, obviously, it's mid-August. We have a couple districts that'll start like how I started. We used to start in September after Labor Day. We were just having this conversation, right? It's just like earlier and earlier. And it's just like summer is like May to July instead of June, July, August, right? It's so weird. But yeah, um, it kind of shifts the like the breaks too. Of, yeah. Of like the start long? of the school year, if you mm-hmm. start in August and mm-hmm. other than like having Labor Day off, you might not have like a break from school until like Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving, yeah. While that's, that's a long time. Yeah, that is a long time. I didn't even think about that. That's totally right. Hope you guys are hanging in there. We have dropped a couple of episodes about, you know, what to do with the beginning of the school year and how to prepare. And this is again just our friendly reminder. You know, if you've been in school for now a week or two, it's always good to ask the or to present the teacher, check in with the teacher about your child's IEP, make sure they got a copy of it. If you have like a little letter when the kiddo is in elementary school, we always like to have the parents send a a quick email or letter about their child and, you know, any unique little tendencies that they have. Right. You guys were teachers for a couple of years there, right. During this pandemic. So Mm -hmm. before you knew your child, but now you really know how your child learns. So please give those tips out. And then And if something is just not sitting right, please request that IEP meeting. That IEP meeting will likely happen within 30 days. So by the time you actually have it, if it's been a week or two into the school year, there'll be an additional, you know, four weeks that the teacher can kind of get to know the kiddo, but, you know, try to get ahead of it as quickly as you can. Yeah. And I know that some teams might say, oh, well, let's let the kid transition Mm -hmm. into the school year before we talk about progress. And I just want to remind you guys that sometimes these first 30 day IEPs, if you're not in a transition year, the purpose of it sometimes is to collect baseline data because any baseline you had last year, whether it was at your annual in December or an addendum in May may not be the same because you went through a whole summer, the kids are getting older and we need to see how in this school year, the child is performing so that our next IEP, we can track progress better. Absolutely. It's all about the fidelity of the data, right? And if one of the ways that you can do this is by attending the IEP meetings and having these discussions, and if that's the easiest way, by all means, please do it, you know, and the schools typically want to know what's going on at home and because, you know, they only get the perspective of your kid, right? <laughs> so it, it's good yeah. to keep them updated on those things. So hopefully you guys are hanging in there. We are really excited to talk about what it has been like to see these teacher-centered classrooms and how we can make it so that 
it is inclusive and it's learner centered, right? Like we would think that it should be revolving around the student, but as one of our previous guests had put it, you know, sometimes there's these folder teachers, right? That they just, they have the way they've done things and this is how you do it. And that is really teacher centered. So Tanya Sheckley is here to help us with kind of breaking down what it really means to be an inclusive learner centered classroom. Hi, Tanya. Thanks for coming on. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So Tanya, can you give us and our listeners just a bit of a background of who you are, what you do? And yeah, that's where I'll leave it. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't finish that thought. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. So I'm Tanya Sheckley. I'm the founder of Up Academy. We are a progressive elementary and soon to be middle school uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, focused founded with the mission to be inclusive of students with physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. So we were founded from inspiration from my daughter. My oldest daughter had cerebral palsy and finding the right educational fit for her where she could excel academically, but also get the therapeutic she was going to need to be independent in the world just wasn't something that public schools did well. And we really struggled to find the right educational fit. And so after talking with other parents of kids with physical disabilities, kids with cerebral palsy, and just other parents of kids with disabilities, we looked at how can we create an inclusive education that's going to give all of our students the life skills and the academic skills that they need to be successful in the world. So we are a fully inclusive school right now. About 40% of our students would be eligible for IEPs if they were in a public school district. Uh, But we, we utilize a lot of what I like to call universal accommodations. And so by setting up our classroom with a focus being on a community framework and a focus being on creating an atmosphere where every student has and can get what they need to be successful in that space, Um, has really helped us to craft a model that works for most students. That's wonderful. I mean, that's, you're our people for sure. We talk so much about trying to create an environment within schools that we are helping support everybody. And we talk so much about when we're in general education class and we're fighting for a child to be included and we're talking about the accommodations that they would need to be supportive in that environment, we often say, look, this is an accommodation or this is a support that's going to help everyone in this class. Like, why are we not trying to add it to the full class? Why are we looking at it from the perspective of it's too much for this one kid because it would make them look different. So I I love when schools try to think outside the box and really make it, it more of a like holistic approach and helping every kid. That's what inclusion is about, right? It's not just the kids on IEPs. Yeah, one example that I love to give and an accommodation that I see frequently for students with sensory challenges or sometimes on the autism spectrum is noise-canceling headphones and having that ability to mm-hmm. you know, put on the headphones and be able mm-hmm. to shut out noise so that we can concentrate. Mm-hmm. And this is something if you have one child in the classroom who has their one set of headphones, you know, that can be really othering. Now there's a difference and why is he wearing headphones and I don't get to wear headphones. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And so there's all of these questions that students have, but if you, you know, they're like $6 for a set of headphones, right? So you (laughs) spend a little bit more money on headphones 
you bring in, you know, a set, maybe not for the whole class, but a half class set or a quarter class set. And then it's Mm -hmm. okay. Here are the headphones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you set up a classroom agreement around the headphones, right? We don't wear them when the teacher is giving explicit instruction. We don't wear them when we're sharing projects with each other. Um, But if it's quiet time, if it's individual work time, if it's reading time, you know, during these times when you're looking for a little extra quiet, this is the time when any student can go grab a set of headphones. And so the classroom has agreed on what those parameters are. And now nobody's different. Nobody's left out. Nobody's unincluded. Nobody's othered. And every kid can get what they need, right? Because we've all been in that classroom or that coffee shop or that space with the one person who likes to hum while they do their work. Yeah. Maybe you are that person and more power to you, but then there are people around who don't like that humming. And so, you know, and that it doesn't need to be an IEP. It doesn't need to be an accommodation. It doesn't need to be a thing at all. It can just be a universal thing for all of us. Yeah, it's real Mm -hmm. world. We talk Mm -hmm. a lot about the purpose of, schooling K through 12 is to set students up for success in later life, college, the workplace. And in most cases nowadays, colleges and most of the workplaces and trade schools all include a lot of things like this. Students are able to bring their own noise canceling headphones. They're able to bring their computers, their iPads, whatever supports they need, even in workplaces. So why we're not looking at what is the real world like and crafting our education environment to be more similar to the real world. I don't know, but I think that's the shift that we need to be looking at because that is real life. That's we all as adults find our ways that help us best. What do we need to relieve stress? What do we need to attend to the task we need? Do we need to be standing, sitting? Do we need to be in one chair or another chair? I mean, these are the things that I wish more educators and more schools would look at from the perspective of, we don't need to be telling kids, you can't do this and that, but then like they see their adults doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's a broader issue throughout all of education in the way that we're teaching students versus the way that we work in the workforce and in life. But you brought up the idea of different chairs and different spaces. And that's another one that's super easy to solve with, you know, just introducing different types of flexible seating. And each day students choose like where they want to sit and what kind of seat they want to sit in. Some days they want to swivel, some days they want to bounce, some days you want to sit on the floor. And all of these things are normal and human. And all of us as adults sit in all sorts of different places to do our work all day long. And so just creating that atmosphere where, you know, where we have some choice over what we're doing. And that gives us, you know, that feeling of agency over our work and our ideas, but also that feeling of belonging and being in a space where we're wanted and where we fit. Well, thankfully, there has been this shift where it's no longer, well, children should be seen and not heard, right? And really just treating them not human, <laughs> right? Yeah, They're that was my generation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> obedience, obedience, right? So, you know, just a subtle shift opens up so much. I mean, yeah, we don't have to sit crisscross applesauce, right? Like you want to sit, like I've heard all these other like terminologies, right? It's like mermaid style, like just making it so that if you need to be different, you can be different. Like we're not all the same. It's just, it's mind boggling, but that's what I would imagine is kind of at the center of, of your school. But it just seems 
so intuitive. <laughs> like why, like, you know, but then you had to create that place. You know, you had said, you had mentioned with your daughter, you had gone to so many different places and it just was not for one reason or the other able to accommodate. And that is what being a human is all about. Like things are constantly changing. Nothing is ever the same, but it's funny because as humans, we hate change. Or I mean, at least I do. I don't know about everybody else, but like I've not met somebody that's like, oh, I love change. I'm changing, you know? Well, I think that's why so many schools have such a tough time adapting because Mm -hmm. the notion of we've always done it this way is probably one of the most common things I hear as a reason why we can't do something different. And it's like, just because something was done for years doesn't mean like, that's the whole, like the premise behind science is that we are learning and we were growing and we are figuring new things out and things change. We need to be adaptable and school should be too. I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) Uh, But it is, it's so much harder to do in practice than it is to say. And there's, Mm. So many reasons for that. You know, Mm. our school was Mm. designed, we're a small school, we're a micro school. We were designed to be student centered. We were designed Mm -hmm. to be flexible Mm -hmm. and fluid and nimble. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly changing the way we're looking at things and how we're operating and creating things in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for larger schools and older schools, there's so much already entrenched, whether it's policy or procedure Mm -hmm. or governance or liability or just misunderstanding. You know, we talked a lot about communication, um, but just that misunderstanding of how easy a small change can be. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we talk about accommodation, it sounds like you know, this big, scary thing that we're going to have to change everything that we do and all of our ways of doing things to accommodate for these needs or those needs or this thing, when it can be as simple as the headphone issue, right? Like you spend yeah. $24 and buy six pairs of headphones and the problem is solved right. and everybody feels comfortable and everybody feels included. And it doesn't need to be a huge big deal and a huge big issue. But I think so many times when we talk about inclusion or disability or IEPs, like the hair starts to stand up on the back of your neck and you get those prickles Mm. and goosebumps Mm. and almost into fight or flight for some people, but there can be small things and simple things that we do that make really big differences. Absolutely. And I, I think part of the problem is that when that hair goes on the back of your neck, it's these people, they're thinking that slippery slope, that this one thing seems so small and so easy, but where does it go? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of people out there that want to think in terms of, well, where do we draw the line? And they're thinking about a hypothetical future of something else happening rather than the now, what can we be doing now? Because if you think of it in terms of one individual decision at a time, that's really easy to grasp. But if you are allowing your mind to spiral down that slippery slope, then yeah, it can be scary. But I think so many schools, that's the way they think. Well, that's kind of how we as humans think, right? Like something goes wrong in the morning. You're like, oh, wow, it's going to be a terrible day. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you burnt your toast at breakfast or whatever it was, yeah. or, you know, the coffee machine sputtered, or you woke up and you're out of coffee. Like that doesn't mean it's going to be a terrible day. That just means you were out of coffee. Right. And so, yeah. How can we break that down and just look at the here and now, and it doesn't need to 
be a big thing. It can just be what it is. And I think that, you know, oftentimes, and one of the questions that I was going to ask is what would you want, you know, a teacher or administrator, even a parent that's listening, what would you want them to know in terms of being able to take an inclusive, to take a teacher-centered classroom and and making it inclusive? Is it to start small? I mean, I, I think I just answered that question, but, or would you want them to try to think bigger? You know, is it to, you know, other parents to gather with the other parents to see how they can do it? Cause I think it just feels so isolating sometimes, you know, you have this idea for your child that could probably work for like many other children. I, we've, I've been talking about this a lot lately where, you know, a, a child may need the FM system. So the teacher is wearing a mic and then there is a speaker that's close to the child, right? Because they may be deaf, hard of hearing and it's, it's easier. But that is something that, you know, yes, it's funding for that one particular child who's on an IEP, but it is so beneficial for everyone in the classroom, especially if we have a soft-spoken teacher. So I'm just rambling because the caffeine hasn't hit me yet, but what's something that you would want parents to know about having an inclusive centered classroom? Yeah. I mean, from, for a parent, I think some of the suggestions that you guys give are amazing. You know, how Mm -hmm. can the parents share Mm-hmm. a little of their story and what mm-hmm. they've been through and where they're coming from, mm-hmm. whether it's with just the teacher or the whole IEP team, you know, before the school year and before things start. Um, also keeping in mind that teachers, especially if you're in a public school setting or a larger school setting, they may have several of those and they may be also setting up a classroom and building curriculum and meeting all of their students. And it is one more thing for them to do. And so how can we make that really easy for them and accessible for them as well, right? We're asking them to create accessibility for for our children. How can we make things as easy and as as accessible for them so that they have a solid understanding of what it is that would be the best possible environment and outcome for our student? And how does that benefit all students? So anytime we can set things up where it's easy and can show the benefit for everyone that Mm -hmm. helps a lot for the teachers, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for teachers creating a more student centered classroom, a lot of it comes down to, you know, listening to our students. Mm. Who are they? What Mm -hmm. do they want? What Mm -hmm. do they need? Mm -hmm. Have we asked them, you know, so much of this and so much of IEPs happens behind closed doors with Mm -hmm. adults and, talking about diagnosis and accommodations and goals and all of these things. But how often do we sit down and talk to the students and be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, what, what do you want to learn this year? What do you think will help Mm -hmm. you to get there? And then how do you set that up around the students? And so having those initial conversations and building that relationship um, with every student really shifts that, you know, from begins to make that shift from a fully teacher-centered classroom to a student-centered classroom, because now we've heard from them and we're listening and we can start to make even small shifts in the way that we look at the class or set up a lesson or create a group or, you know, the ways that we do things based on how our students want to learn. Right. It's, it's easy to get overwhelmed when we think about all the changes mm-hmm. we would need to make, but mm-hmm. if we can start with one small thing and mm-hmm. take it one step at a time, I think it makes it more manageable. And so as much as we can try, and so for both educators and parents to look at that, I think that helps. 
for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Tanya, as, as we're wrapping up, is there somewhere that people can reach out to you if they have questions or if they want to know more about your micro school, where can they contact you? Yep. I'm pretty active on social media and on LinkedIn. Looking for Tanya Sheckley there, you'll find me. Our school is called Up Academy. Our website is upacademysf.com as we're in the San Francisco Bay Area. We also have, we do a lot of consulting and outreach with other schools, helping them to shift culture, shift mindset, create new and innovative programs within their schools. And we do that through Rebel Educator, which is rebeleducator.com. Nice. And my new book recently came out this summer, which is called Rebel Educator, Create Classrooms Where Impact and Imagination Meet. And I talk a lot about the small shifts we can make in the classroom, single ideas that you can do you know, just changing one thing to make a difference and a shift towards a more learner-centered classroom. And I also share some of my story and tips and tricks that I've learned along the way from starting a school as well. I love that title, (laughs) the imagination component, the the creativity. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely check Rebel Educator out and also your podcast that we were just on. And yeah, definitely check her book out. Thank you so much, Tanya, for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.